The message I'm going to bring you today, uh, the message I brought last night here, is kind of a little different than what we might be used to. Um, I want to talk to you about the subject of rest. We're living in unprecedented times. I think you realize that. There's so much stress. There's so much opportunity for anxiety. There's so much turmoil and confusion going on around us. And if we're not careful and if we're not intentional about holding on to our peace and holding on to our joy, we can get a lot robbed from us at this point in time. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time something that I waited till the end of the message last night to state, but I think I want to do it beforehand so that maybe it'll motivate you to really grasp um, the intent of this message. We are in the end of the age. There's no doubt whatsoever. I know some people don't like to hear this. They don't like people preaching about it. There is no doubt whatsoever that we are in the end times. In fact, we're probably in the last moments of the end times. And in these times, the church should not be preoccupied about what we're going to gather for ourselves or how many... Um, how many accomplishments we can achieve that are going to be self-satisfying. We're in a point in history right now, the history of mankind, the history of the kingdom of God, where our attention needs to be on those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I said all that to say this. If the church is stressed out, and when I say church, you know, I'm talking about us, right? Because you're the church. This building is not the church. This building is where the church meets. Amen? And if you were raised in a religious denomination like I was, we thought the church building was the church and you couldn't pray until you went there and all that other kind of stuff. But you're the church. Turn to somebody and say, you're the church. We are the called out ones. Amen? Now, if the called out ones are stressed out, if those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and know and have experienced his love, have experienced the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, if we're stressed out, if we're burned out, if we're worn out, how are we going to minister to the people that don't know him yet? Every single one of us that's in this room right now better thank God for the person that he used at some point in your life that came to you and told you about Jesus, that they were an individual that could grasp the love of God and knew how to distribute the love of God so that you, your heart would be impacted and that you would be drawn to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which brought you to this point in time today. You and I, we cannot afford to become so stressed out, so worn out. There's so many people that have gotten, just walked away from God over the past couple of years. So many people just walked away from church. God bless you. Um, the church is a gathering of individuals of believers. Okay, you don't get to walk away. You don't get to make the choice, I'm not going to do this anymore. Jesus purchased you with his blood. He purchased you at a great price. And he deserves all that he suffered for. Amen? Now, there are many out there that have not yet heard. And they need us to hold on to our sanity. They need us to hold on to that relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can draw our strength from him, so that we, too, can resist the temptation to become stressed out. We'll resist the temptation to not walk in his peace and not walk in his purpose, which is just as important. Because, you see, when you're not walking in his purpose, you're automatically going to walk in stress and in anxiety. So I want you to, to be intentional about listening to this message. I want you to grab the principles of it. But more importantly, let's all walk in the truth of the word of God. Amen? Amen? So one of the most well-known verses of scripture that's found in the gospels is located in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And, and, and just to clear this up right off the bat, the yoke he's talking about here, you notice, is not an A yoke. 
the yoke he's speaking of here is, is a farming implement that was used very much in ancient times. I would imagine it's still used today. Where you would have this big beam, and on one side of the beam, you would have some type of a, an apparatus that would be fixed around the head of an ox or some type of a beast of burden. And then on the other side would be the same thing. And, and the idea was when you were breaking in a new ox or a, a new mule or something of this nature, some type of beast of burden, you would take the one that's older and experienced and put that one on one side of that beam. You would take the one that's younger and inexperienced and hook him up and connect him to the other side of that beam. beam. The, the concept is this, that the older, more experienced one will teach the younger, inexperienced, and mature one. And Jesus is giving us that symbol. He's using that to say, come and connect with me. Come and join with me. Come alongside me. I'll give you rest. I'll, I'll make the journey easy. We'll see that as, as the message unfolds. So we see here in this Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30, that Jesus promises us rest. He's speaking of physical rest. He's speaking of emotional rest and a promise to be with us as we walk through our everyday life, hooked up, connected to him, okay? Now, we see that this theme in the scriptures is introduced very early on. In fact, in the second chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter two, verse two, it tells us that on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, let's be real about this. God didn't rest because he was physically tired. He rested to set an example for us that we would be aware of this concept of rest for our own sakes. Now, as you read through scriptures, if you were to do a search on this topic, you would see that all throughout the word of God, we see reminders about this concept. Exodus chapter 33, we're talking about rest now. Exodus 33, verse 14, I'm going to read to you from the English Standard Version. And he said, my presence will go with you. This is God speaking to, to Moses about the Israelites. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. rest. Do you ever notice that wherever his presence is, there's rest? Yes. I don't know if you noticed that today, this morning during worship, there was a an elevated level of, you could sense his presence a lot stronger today. And you could sense, you could sense if you're, if you're perceptive about it, and if, you, if you've uh, pushed aside all the other things that are trying to get your attention, you would also have been perceptive that there's a level of peace in this place today. There's a level of calm, a level of stability here today that's a little bit heightened. Amen? Where his presence is, there's rest. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, is the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking to God on our behalf. You, God, will keep him, us, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When you and I are in a position where we have been intentional about trusting God, no matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter what chaos or storm has broken out on our lives. When we're intentional about keeping our focus on him, our mind on him, you can't help but walk in rest and walk in peace. Amen? Amen. Psalm 127, starting in verse 1. This psalm addresses an issue that very often robs people of rest and robs people of peace. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Amen. What's he saying here? Stop trying to build your own kingdom. Stop trying to make your life, try to put your life together without his help. And so many of us are so stubborn in this area. I'm going to make my own life. I'm a self-made person. I'm going to, yeah, well... Come and talk to me about five or ten years. Let me know how that works. Because most people that have set their lives this way, they may end up successful monetarily, material, materially, but they are miserable on the inside. Because that person knows, I've done this on my own. I have not enlisted the help of the Holy Spirit. I probably have not tapped into the purpose that God has for my life. Proverbs chapter 3, 
calls it sweet sleep. Verse 24, I can't tell you how many times a week I claim that verse. Because I don't know about you, I have trouble shutting my mind down at night. I have trouble. I've spent hours laying in bed thinking about things and what can we do next and what, what other communities can we affect and how can we do the things that we do now better. And, and then all of a sudden, somebody's face will pop up in front of my eyes and I'll think, wow, I haven't seen that person in a while. I hope they're okay, so I'll start thinking about that person. Then all of a sudden, I'll catch myself and go, no, no, this has got to stop. <laughs> this has got to stop. And I'll quote that scripture. Father, I receive the sweet sleep that you said that you provide for your children. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody have similar experiences? Trying to sleep at night. That's not the will of God for us to to toss and turn and and be up all night long. Amen? Amen. And some of us on the other side of 50, we brag about it. We brag about how little sleep we get. No, I only got three hours last night. No, no, no. I got two and a half hours last night. Stop that. Turn to somebody and say, stop that. Stop, that. stop bragging about how little sleep. Because at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we really know what the results are. Amen? Amen. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples who were very busy. Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place, he said, and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Busy, busy, busy. But now notice, they're busy in the ministry. They're busy serving God. They're busy serving Jesus. They're busy. And most of us Christians, that's the the tagline. How you doing? Oh, busy. You think you can get involved? You think you can, you can help? No, I'm so, Pastor, I'm so busy. So, but what are you busy at? Are we busy with the vain laborings that it's talking about in Psalm 127? Busy, 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 busy. Spinning our wheels constantly, accomplishing nothing. Spinning our wheels and have nothing to show for it. Spinning our wheels and maybe having something to show for it, but at what cost? At what cost? So we need to get off by ourselves sometimes and just... Be intentional. That's the key word for the day that we live in right now. Be intentional because if you're not intentional about your life, there are plenty of influences all around us that are going to pull you to drift in one direction or another and get you so busy and get you behind a cause. It's so crazy. Be intentional. Do something about spending some time with God. Well, Pastor, you don't know how early I get up in the morning. Oh, don't even go there with that. Then go to sleep 10 minutes earlier at night or spend a couple of minutes. But listen, I I think it's more profitable and practical to try to spend time in the morning when you first get up than than when you're going to go to bed. When you're going to go to bed, who are you thinking about is that pillow, how good it feels. You're not worrying about your next door neighbor who's unsaved. You're not worrying about your family member who's in the hospital. All you want to know is I got to get to sleep. So be intentional about spending some time first thing in the morning when we put him first. It orders our day. Amen? Amen. It kind of brings structure to the rest of the day. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. We don't want to be anxious. We want to be restful. We want to be at peace. We want to have stability in our lives. Amen? Amen. Because when we're rested, when we have peace in our lives, when there's stability in our lives, then we can be sensitive on the inside of the needs of somebody else. If we're all stressed out, On our last nerve, it's very difficult to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit to show you this person needs to be ministered to or that person needs to be ministered to or call this person up, they need to be encouraged because our minds are so cluttered and we're so stressed out. He's speaking, but we're not hearing. Amen? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication means bring bring your argument before God. Speak to him about your problems. Speak to him about the challenge you're facing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. And the peace of God, or we could say it this way, or the rest that comes from God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? It'll guard our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You ever notice how much easier it is to get offended at somebody when when you're not rested? How much easier it is to get offended. How much easier it is for somebody to step on that 
that last nerve when you're stressed out. Every little thing, every little thing you notice. You ever, you ever have that happen? It's one, two, three. Do you, you ever have that happen? The more stressed out you are, the more sensitive you're going to be. Uh, not sensitive, touchy, touchy. The slightest little thing that somebody says, you fly off the handle. And they're like, well, how, I, but what, what did you mean when you said, and why did you look at me like that when you said that? Come on. You know it's the truth. Your hearts and your minds, church, our hearts and our minds need to be guarded. In fact, in the original language, that talks about a garrison. In, in the original Greek language, it says that your hearts and your minds will be garrisoned. You know what a garrison is? Garrison is a, a lot of soldiers, a lot of troops that are guarding a, a stronghold, a castle, a fortress. That's the exact picture that's being painted here. And so he's saying, if you don't want to be anxious for anything, then take all your needs, all your concerns, and, and make sure they're with thanksgiving, and bring them to God, and the peace, the rest, the stability that doesn't make any sense will garrison your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now watch this now. I only gave you a few of the scriptures that are found in both the Old Testament and New Testament as it pertains to this topic of rest. But it seems like, even though we're constantly reminded of the importance of rest, peace and security that comes from God, it seems like it continuously escapes us. It seems like it's always beyond our reach. Now understand this, that the rest that God speaks of is more than just physical rest. It's, it's rest for our souls, and that's important. Honestly, the rest for your soul is even more important than physical rest. So how could it be possible? I'm going to tell you why. Because when your soul is not rested, your soul is the place of your mind, your will, your emotions. Your mind, your will, and emotions are the areas where you make decisions that are going to determine the rest of your life. How many has ever made a really stupid, harmful decision in the midst of a time when you were completely stressed out, how many, how, many, how many have done that? And then you regret it later and you find it hard. Sometimes it takes us years to get out of that decision that we made during those times of stress, times of, of anxiousness, times when we thought we didn't have any other option, times that we forgot to, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. And sometimes we have to live with those decisions for a long time long time. So, he wants us to have rest from stress. He wants us to have rest from that, that motivation on the inside that causes us to overachieve. Overachieve. I'm not talking about being a slacker. I'm talking about having the opposite end of the spectrum. I know for most of my life, I was a workaholic for the sake of the wrong motives. I was gonna to prove to my father that I could do, I could make this life without him. I was gonna to prove to people around me. I was gonna to prove to everybody. And all it cost me was uh, my health, both emotionally, mental health, everything, all the, way, all the way down the line. Now, I still work a lot, but it's a whole different thing. It's a, it's a work of rest, a work of rest. I've had people come to me in the past, not so much now because I could take it a little bit easier now. I've got a wonderful staff, awesome team here. But in the past, when I had my hands on everything, even then, I had the grace of God on me. See, when you had the grace of God on you, you can accomplish things. The problem comes when the grace lifts, but you continue trying to keep that pace. I'll say it again for those of you that didn't, maybe you didn't hear it in the back. Uh, when the grace lifts and you continue to try to keep the same pace, now you're getting into stress. Now you're going to do damage to yourself because you don't have his grace on you. Amen. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. He wants us to rest from the stress, rest from the overachieving, rest from the cycle. Here's another one. Rest from the cycles of bad habits and addictions. That'll drain the life out of you. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to. But that'll drain the life out of you. When your life has been subject to really bad habits, and addictions. You go through that cycle that wears you out. There's no rest there. 
Because you're at this cycle, you're doing good, you're doing good, you're doing good, and all of a sudden it starts to drift. And now you go full circle. You're at the total under end, other end of the cycle, totally, totally in sin, totally in self-destruction, totally damaged the people, damaging the people around you that you love. And then you come to your senses, okay? And you start back at that other end of the cycle, and, and now you come back to where, okay, you've experienced your repentance, you've experienced restoration, and you're good, and you're good, and you're good. But you left a disaster in your wake. And then the guilt and condemnation that the enemy tries to bring, you did it again, you fell again. You got involved in this thing again. You swore, you promised God that you're never going to do that again. That drains the life out of you. So we need to be intentional about grabbing hold of the rest that comes from God. And the rest of the message you'll see ties in with this. Amen? Hebrews chapter 4. Let's get into the actual scriptures themselves. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Now let me explain something to you before we get in here. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to continue Hebrews chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter. But then we're going to have to go back to Hebrews chapter 3 when we get to the end of it to really totally understand who this writer of Hebrews, I believe is the Apostle Paul, who this writer of Hebrews is actually referring to and who he's talking about. I think those of you that know the scriptures are going to get a hint right away. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Now you see the first word is what? Therefore. Which means it's connected to something else, right? And we're going to see that's connected to the end of chapter 3, okay? Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear. In other words, you should be concerned if you don't enter into this rest. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Let's go. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Now, he's talking to the us is people in the New Testament age. Them is the people in the Old Testament age. It'll become very clear to you. For the, indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, that should be scary, because there's many of you sitting here today, you're hearing the word preached. You're hearing all about this concept of rest from God himself. But if you do not attach your faith to it, it will never change your life. I know of plenty of people that have heard the gospel, read the gospel, studied the gospel. They studied it as a form of history, or they studied it as a form of classic uh, writings, or they studied it as a form of, 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 of like poetry. We see many people study the scriptures, especially the Psalms, um, because of its poetic value. None of them get born again. Why? Because they never mix what they heard with faith. Oh, yeah, I know that story. Oh, yeah, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a great moral example. To no, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who sacrificed himself on the cross. Okay, so he's saying you can hear the word, but if you don't mix it with faith, it profits you nothing. Amen? Amen. Next verse. For we who have believed do enter that rest. So now we're getting some, some clues here. How do we obtain? How do we attain? How do we retain this rest that only comes from God? We have to believe that that's his will for our life. Amen? Amen. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, now he's quoting the Old Testament, what God spoke about the people back then. So I swore in my wrath. Yes, God has wrath. Some of us have been given this picture of God as just, just love, just sappy, just love. Oh you, sin oh, you want to live a sinful lifestyle? Oh, that's okay. I still love you. No, there's a whole other side of God. God has wrath. Okay, now, thank God in the age we live in right now, all of that wrath that God has stored up, he poured out on Jesus, not on us. But there's coming a time at the end of this age, it's going to switch back. And the wrath of God will be poured out on the, unbeliever, on the unbelievers on this earth. No, we don't like to talk about that, okay? They shall not enter my rest. Now, look at, look at this. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What is he saying here? He's saying, God's saying, I put everything in place for you to live a life of rest. I put everything, I provided everything you're going to need. I provided for every aspect of your life. 
But until you put faith to that, you're going to live restless. He's talking to the people in the Old Testament that refused to put their trust and put their faith in God. Amen? Amen. Next verse. For he has spoken in a certain place. We read it, Genesis chapter 2, just a little while ago. That place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Next verse. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. He's talking about Old Testament again. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those whom it was first preached did not enter it because of what? So now we see not applying our faith keeps us at a rest. What else keeps us at a rest? Disobedience. Disobedience. Now this is both general disobedience and personal disobedience. General disobedience is the general will of God that's revealed in the Bible. Love one another. General, right? Very general. But we still have to obey that, right? Forgive one another. Very general. But we still have to obey. All right. No, I can never forgive that person. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. No, I don't know what they did to you. But you know what? You still have to forgive them. You still have to get, forgive them. And then we disobey. We don't. That's the general. Then there's a specific disobedience. Like, let's say, God speaks to you very clearly and says, I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to move to Mongolia and preach the gospel. And the person says, no way. No way. Okay? What's that? That's specific disobedience because it's particular to that individual's life. Okay? And again, he designates a certain day saying in David. Now, that's just a code word. Saying in David means that this is found in the Psalms because David is predominantly the writer of the Psalms. Today, after such a long time as it's been said, today if you hear his voice, let's say it together nice and loud, do not harden your hearts. Amen? For if Joshua, now we're getting closer to who he's talking to, okay? For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. In other words, if Joshua was able to bring them into the promised land and give them stability, okay, then there would not have been a rest to still enter into in the future, okay? Therefore, or it says, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Who's the rest belong to? Come on, read this with me. Go back, go back. Read this with me. There remains, therefore, a what? Rest. For who? See what I'm talking about? God has provided a, a specific, very special rest. This realm of calm, of peace, of for the people of God. Why? Who's going to carry out Jesus' ministry on the earth? The people of God. So if we're not rested, his ministry can't get fulfilled. Yes or no? There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. So now watch this now. I, this just dawned on me. Go back to that. <clears throat> that means just automatically becoming born again doesn't necessarily equate with rest. See, because your spirit got born again. Your spirit, the real you on the inside, got born again. Your soul did not. Your soul needs to be trained. Your soul needs to be transformed. Your soul needs to think differently. And that comes in a progression of training, of discipline, of elevating the scriptures above your natural experience. So just because we're born again does not mean that we automatically enter that rest. It means that we're qualified to take advantage of that rest. Get back to your job, River. <laughs> Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. Next verse. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did. You remember, seventh day, God finished all his work. And what did he do? Rested. Well, that's very, this is very telling for us. This, is very, this speaks a lot. In other words, now, we're entering our promised land. We went from Egypt. We came out of Egypt, the world, sin, darkness, the kingdom of Satan. We're entering into the kingdom of God. We are on our way to our particular promised land. 
Not talking about geographically, talking about the promised land of purpose for your life, which is going to be very different than the life and the purpose of the person next to you. God calls us individually. He calls us generally and corporately into his kingdom. But once we're in the kingdom, then he's got a specific plan for each and every one of us. Some of them might be similar, but the purpose is extremely different. You have not entered into your promised land fully and experienced the rest of God unless, unless you are now walking in the plan, the purpose, the motive that God created you for. That's when you come to a place in life to go. You're listening? Yes. Now, don't equate that with lack of activity. Because most of the time, when you're fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God for your life, you're busy. Amen. You're busy. He doesn't let us sit around. He's constantly coming up and do things. And how about doing this? And did you ever think about doing that? And I'm opening up this door of opportunity. You listening to what I'm saying? Yes. Now, don't sit there and go, well, that's you, Pastor. You're, you're a pastor. You're a full-time minister. Oh, no, honey. No, you have a specific plan. God has a specific plan for your life. Very specific. Okay? And it's customized for who you are. I can't find it for you no more than you could have found it for me. You've got to go searching for it. You've got to press into him. Amen? Amen. For he has entered his rest, has himself also ceased from his work as God did. Come on, let's go. Let us therefore be diligent. One translation says like this, and I went, what? One translation says, let us strive to enter that rest. I'm like, but you just told me to rest. Now you want me to strive. I thought striving wasn't good. So, but here it brings the meaning out even clearer, okay? Be diligent. I would say it this way and have been throughout this message. Be intentional about entering in that rest. In other words, let's avoid everything that would keep me out of that rest. Amen or no? Okay, good. Lest any of us, lest anyone fall according to the same example of what? Disobedience. Is there more to this? Verse, here we go back to chapter 3 now. Now we're going to find out who exactly, what generation is he exactly speaking about who failed to enter into the rest of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? What generation in the Old Testament is notorious for rebelling? The generation that came out of Egypt and headed towards the promised land. Indeed, was it, all not, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? The answer is yes. Next verse. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Oh, God's a God of love. 40 years. He's got an attitude with these people. Okay? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Yes. Actually... Bible commentators state anywhere from two to two and a half to three million people left Egypt. Only two made it to the promised land. And it wasn't Moses. He let the people get to him so much and he sinned at the end and didn't get in to go into the promised land. The only two of that generation that entered in were Joshua and Caleb. Okay? Next verse. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who did not obey. This is the third time now we're seeing the subject of disobedience connected to missing out on the rest of God, missing out on that peace that comes from him. So we see that they cannot enter in because of? Unbelief. Now let me explain to you what unbelief is. See, before you knew anything about Jesus, before you even knew a Bible existed, before you even knew there was a God, you were not an unbeliever. You were a never heard. A person who is ignorant of information doesn't doubt the information. They have never received the information. In order for a person to be an unbelief, that means they have had to have heard and chose not to believe. Now think about this. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. This generation saw the 10 plagues devastate Egypt with their own eyes. This generation saw the Red Sea part with their own eyes. This generation saw food, manna come from heaven to sustain them. Saw water come from a rock, not once, but twice. 
This is the generation that saw the Jordan River at flood stage completely part so they could walk over on the other side on dry ground. This is the generation that saw God win battles for them. And this is also the generation that did not enter in because even though they saw, they refused to believe. How many of us were like that at one time? How many of us had people in our lives like that no matter what? Jesus could come in person and they'd still find a reason not to believe. Amen? Amen. You get anything out of this? So we see that God's people fail to enter that place of rest, peace, and security due to a few different reasons. Disobedience, not applying their faith, unbelief, refusing to believe no matter how much evidence is given. And finally, hardness of heart, cynicism, and bitterness. It seems like a lot to overcome. And the Holy Spirit's using the example of the Israelites to say, don't do the same thing. So today, when people do not have that peace, when Christians who are going to heaven have the Spirit of God living in them, still are restless, unstable. Every decision they make is, is just out of left field. Why? For the same exact reasons. Disobedience, not applying our faith, Listening, hearing, constantly hearing, constantly hearing, constantly hearing, but never putting into practice that which we learn. That keeps us out of rest. Unbelief, refusing to believe no matter how much evidence is given. And finally, I think the worst one is hardness of heart, cynicism, and bitterness. Bitterness, bitterness is the most dangerous trap that a Christian could fall into. When you're bitter, when your hearts become bitter, you don't see anything through the proper filter. And it all starts with a decision, whether to be angry with somebody or not, whether to, whether to yield to a disappointment or not. And listen, I don't know if you found this out yet. It looks like most of you have been here for uh, uh, quite a few years. Okay? Life is full of disappointments. Did you realize that? Yes. How many realize that? How many realize that things almost never go the way you think they're going to go? How many have had people disappoint you? How many have disappointed yourselves? I think that's the worst one. Because we hold ourselves to such a strict uh, standard. Bitterness, cynicism, that jaded attitude of life, that will keep you far away from the rest that God promises. Let me give you a hint. I, I kind of alluded to this before. When you start feeling very touchy, beware. The enemy has you in his crosshairs. The enemy is, and, and he's got tons of allies, some of them in your own household, that will totally accommodate the enemy by doing everything possible to aggravate you, to offend you, to insult you, to disappoint you, to betray you. Can I get an amen at least? Because I thought maybe this is just my life. <laughs> and you and I have to make the decision that no matter what comes at us, for the sake of our heart and for the sake of the people who will be affected by our bitterness, we need to avoid that whole thing. Don't take the offense. Offen Jesus said offense is going to come, but we don't have to take it. Just think about how you, how you even speak of that. Well, you know, I took offense at so-and-so. Why'd you take it? No, come on, seriously. Think about how we speak about it ourselves. Oh, so-and-so took offense at what you said. Oh, oh, they took it. Oh, so it was there floating there, waiting for somebody, and they grabbed a hold of it and made it mine. But you, but you, Pastor, you don't know. You don't know what they did to me. No, I don't, and I really don't want to know because I got enough of my own to deal with. You don't know how they treated me. You don't know how disappointed. You don't know what that, how they betrayed my trust. No, I don't. But do yourself a favor. Let the offense just float by. Don't take it. Let it go, or people are going to think I'm weak. Honey, it's better for people to think you're weak and avoid that bitterness than for you to take hold of it, own it, 
and have to deal with the consequences. Not only that, but we got to deal with the consequences of your bitterness. You listening? So Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, connect yourself to me, learn from me, then you'll find rest. We don't find rest when we live a life that's independent. Let me read to you some excerpts from Max Lucado. Anybody know who Max Lucado is? Awesome Christian author, written tons of books. Listen to what he said. This is so cool. Listen to this first concept. When you give your heart to Christ, he returns the favor. Here it is, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. It's always said you can't outgive God. Lord, I give you my heart. Jesus, I give you my heart. Okay, good. Now I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. Amen? Amen. And this is him speaking again. For many years, I missed this truth. I believed all the other prepositions. Christ for me, with me, ahead of me. And I knew I was working beside Christ, under Christ, with Christ. But I never imagined that Christ was in me. No other religion or philosophy makes such a claim. No other movement implies the living presence of its founder and its followers. Think about it. Mohammed does not indwell Muslims. Buddha does not inhabit Buddhists. The Christian is a person whom Christ is happening. Oh, I love that. Christ, not just dwelling, happening. He, oh my gosh. Did you catch that? He's happening. He's active. He's working in us. He's working on us. He's working through us. You got that? In other words, salvation is more than just going to heaven. It is Jesus continually working in us, with us, and through us. It is not us striving, toiling, slaving day and night, trying to be good, trying to live holy, trying to be more and more like Jesus. True rest comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to do what is necessary, whatever is necessary, to change, to transform, and to create Christ in you, the hope of glory. Bottom line is this. Rest is allowing God's grace to flow over us and fill us with his security. Again, I'll go back to Max Lucado. Rather than tell us to change, he creates the change. Do we clean up so he can accept us? No, he accepts us and begins cleaning us up. Grace is God as a heart surgeon, cracking open your chest, removing your heart, poisoned as it is with pride and pain, and replacing it with his own. His dream isn't just to get you into heaven, but to get heaven into you. I, I, I just feel rest just talking about this stuff. So Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, God is addressing the people who have every opportunity to put their trust in him and therefore receive grace. In other words, they didn't take hold of his rest because they didn't take hold of his grace. When you don't take hold of the grace of God, you forfeit the rest of God. I don't mean the rest as in quantity. I mean rest as in peace security, stability that comes from God. Listen to what else Max Lucado wrote. Grace goes beyond mercy. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace threw him a party. Mercy prompted the Samaritan to bandage the wounds of the victim. Grace prompted him to leave his credit card as payment for the victim's care. It goes above and beyond. Mercy forgave the thief on the cross Grace escorted him into paradise. Mercy pardons us. Grace woos us. In other words, draws us and then weds us, connects us to Christ. Grace is rest. Rest is grace. You cannot separate the two. And I will say to you today, with total confidence of the statement I'm about to make, based on 38 years of walking with Christ, the weariest people on earth are Christians trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn God's attention, trying to earn God's promises rather than just trusting God, staying in faith, and enjoying his grace. Mercy begs like a slave. Grace approaches God with assurance. And it's amazing that Hebrews chapter 4 starts out with this warning about not, not missing out on this rest, this state of well-being. But it ends with a concept that is going to help every single one of us. 
Hebrews chapter 4, back to chapter 4 again. But this time we're going to go to verse 14 down to verse 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, now if you come from the same background I did, this isn't talking about confession where we go to church and we confess to another person. That's not what this is talking about. Confession here is talking about saying the same as. When you got born again, you got born again because you said the same thing that the Bible says. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead, and you asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You were putting yourself in agreement with what the scripture said. He's saying here, let us hold fast to that first thing we said about Christ that got us into this position to begin with. Stay, hold fast to your confession of faith, okay? Next verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with. Look, we have a high priest that knows how tough it is to live this life on earth. That didn't just start. God knew how tough it was for the Israelites. But God also knew that he had supplied them with everything they needed to go forward to possess that place of rest. He told them, you're gonna, I provided for you. You're going to live in city, cities that you never built. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. And they're going to be houses filled with things that you never bought. And you're going to eat from vineyards you never planted, from orchards you never planted. You're going to drink waters from wells that you never dug. In other words, I'm bringing you to a place of rest so you're not distracted about anything else and you could just do the work of the ministry. Amen? Amen? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we, yet without what? Sin. Next verse. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? How can I come boldly? Because I know I have a high priest who knows what I'm going through. I have a high priest who knows my failures. I have a high priest who's been tempted with the same things I was, I've been tempted with. However, he never sinned, but he understands. Now, that's not an excuse for us to keep sinning and for us to keep living a life that's displeasing to God, but it puts us in a position to receive what? Mercy. Watch this now. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? Grace. Now, at the throne of grace, there's more than just grace available there. Watch us now, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, if you've been in this church for any length of time, you've heard me teach on this before, but I never want to miss an opportunity to do it again. The two main things we're dealing with here are mercy and grace. Watch this now. Look at, look, watch this. Mercy can only apply to the past. Mercy is only available for the things that we've done. But Let's be honest with each other. We're going to do it again. Oh, not me, Pastor. Okay. So while we're at this throne, while we're in this position before God Almighty, our high priest who knows exactly what it's like to be faced with these things, I can obtain mercy. I can obtain pardon for the junk that I've done in the past. I can receive his mercy that washes and cleanses what's been done. But let's be truthful. The high priest also knows you're going to be faced with this again. And so not only does he make mercy available to us, but he also makes what? Grace. Grace. Mercies for the past, graces for the future. Grace is going to empower me not to have to fall again so that I don't have to come back asking for mercy. You and I don't want to live in mercy. We want to live in grace. Now watch this now. Thank God for the mercy. Because the mercy disconnects us from our past sin. Grace empowers us so that we don't have to do it again. And when you combine the two of them, the end result is rest. You getting this? Are you getting this? Yes. You don't want to live in mercy. Thank God it's there. But we don't want to live in mercy. We want to live in grace. Amen. So let's read Matthew eleven twenty eight again with a fuller understanding now. I'm going to read to you from the message translation. Are you tired, worn out, 
burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, just that flow. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That is the rest that comes from God. It's not being embalmed someplace, so you don't do anything, so I don't, I'm just going like, to, so I'm not, so I don't get any trouble, I'm just going to just seal me up, God, just wrap me up so I don't, no, it's go through life, but go through life knowing that his grace is there for us. Knowing that you're not supposed to take every little concern upon yourself. Knowing that you're not supposed to try to figure everything out yourself. Knowing that you have a Father in heaven who cares for you and his spirit lives inside you, ready to give you the strength you need to overcome. Ready to, ready to reveal the mercy of God to you when you do mess up. But also, very, very ready to take you by the hand and navigate you through this, this life so that at the end, there's nothing to regret. There's everything that just is peaceful, is restful, is stable, is calm. And that's the best thing we can do in life. Folks, be intentional about getting rid of, getting rid of disobedience. Be intentional about continuously placing your faith in God Almighty as we go through life, as we face things that we never faced before, take them to the Lord in faith. Be intentional about not letting your hearts become hard. Be intentional about resisting bitterness and that poison. Because you may think you're hiding it really well, but at some point it's going to seep out somewhere and it usually will affect other people. Amen? I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over every one of us in this room, myself included, that we will allow the Holy Spirit to further take us deeper into this concept of rest. See, I don't know exactly what goes on in your life, but he does. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will reveal to us on an everyday basis, Father, in the practical areas of life, the areas where we may have stepped out of your rest, the areas where we need your mercy, and the areas where we need to obtain grace to help in time of need. Father, I speak supernatural rest, supernatural refreshing over every individual in this room today, Lord. For those that are worn out, for those that are tired, for those that are burned out, I pray the refreshing that you promised us in the word that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and that we would rise up like wings of eagles, like we would rise up and just soar with you through this life, Father. We bless you. We trust you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.